Hey, good morning and welcome to NCIS Reports in the Field. This is Lee Clements with a, a, a great guest today, someone who's played critical role in the history of NIS and NCIS and during the changeover and also had a great career with us, not only with us, but he's also a JAG lawyer um, who uh, has tried cases on both sides of the bench. So he's gone, he's, he's prosecuted as well as gone against uh, NCIS agents. And I believe that I've actually testified in court with uh, John questioning me as well. Uh, at one time in the, in the mid-90s. So, should be an interesting interview. Uh, John Smallman, welcome to the show, man. Good to see you. Good morning, Lee. Good to hear from you. So, John, tell me about yourself. Tell me about um, your early life, uh, where, you, where you're born, where you were brought up, what made you interested in the Navy and in NIS back in the early days. All right, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. I uh, grew up in Hammond, Indiana, which is right next to Chicago. In other words, we we're just a few miles from where I was born. Uh, industrial area, steel mills and uh, oil refineries primarily. Everybody's dad had a good job. Everybody had a new car. Everyone went on vacation. It, it was the 60s and things were going well for America. And I, I feel very fortunate to be from that area. Um, got out of high school in 73. I joined the Marines. They had kicked me out within 10 months because I had a recurring dislocated left shoulder that I accidentally forgot to tell them about. <laughs> they did give me an honorable discharge, and I went home, got a job in the steel mill, and went to college. And uh, it took me four and a half years to get a bachelor's degree, but I never had a loan, and I always had a car. And I had nice. a good job. Nice. And it, it really, it, it was a good time to be where I was from. Yeah. Um, got out of college. My first job was a probation officer. And I was writing pre-sentence reports, supervising adult felons, doing some testimony in, uh, during sentencing hearings and uh, revocation hearings. This was in Gary, Indiana. We were, we, I think we led the nation in murders per capita two or three times during that period. And it was a good place to learn how to talk to criminals. Yeah. And did a lot of that with the pre-sentence reports. I really liked the job. Um, it didn't pay really well, and it wasn't a, you know it wasn't a career job, but it was a good job for the time. Mm -hmm. um, my cousin was a Chicago policeman, and he had every intent on getting me on the, the force. Mm -hmm. And I was reticent partially because he was kind of a fast and loose dude. And I, I wasn't sure I wanted to get involved in that. I applied to the FBI. And unlike other stories, in 10 months, I was hired. I don't know. It just must have been yeah. that. Off I went to Quantico. Um, I was the youngest in the class, which is which we'll talk about later, because I was the oldest in my Fletzy class. <laughs> At any rate, it was you know it was an interesting evolution. It wasn't particularly difficult. Got through it okay. Came back, and when my first office was Gary, Indiana. Wow. It was kind of neat because I knew all the criminals and I knew the <laughs> geography. Um, I found out that some people that I worked for in the court system uh, were actually under investigation. <laughs> Uh, were pretty untidy people. Uh -huh. uh, worked a, a 
outfit case. Uh, that, that's what they call the, the mob or the mafia over in the Chicago area. That that worked out pretty well. We got a mid-level guy that we uh, we bought some dope from, and uh-huh. I, I I got sideways with the oral lighter intercept rules. My boss saved me. Um, so later, when I got to NCIS headquarters, yeah. NIS headquarters, I didn't know what that stuff was about because <laughs> I done it wrong. Um, uh, you know. Side note: the guy that saved me, yeah. um, subsequently, some years later, went to prison for shredding the, the Weaver document oh, wow. from the shooting in Idaho. And he, he was a stand-up guy, but uh, he. The rules were just there to be aware of for him. He, he was kind of a fast and loose dude. Good, good boss, good guy. But well, but, John, let me ask you this: as far yeah. as um, so, when you join the FBI and you go to Gary, Indiana, I mean, clearly, um, one of the main things, the objectives of the FBI in the '70s was probably working against mafia uh, in Chicago. Was there a lot of mafia influence down in Gary? Um, it was fading because other groups were taking over. Okay. We had a lot of uh, narcotics-related uh, crime there. We had a lot of arrest warrants, so it was kind of neat. We got to do cops and robbers stuff. Yeah, sure. Quite a bit. Um, but I was only there a year, and then I got orders to Atlanta. Oh, wow. But before I ever left for Atlanta, it got changed to Rossville, Georgia. And I was up in just, as they say, just below Chattanooga. Oh, wow. They make a lot of carpeting there, and there's a lot of uh, theft from interstate shipment. Hmm. So we worked a lot of those type of cases. I had a, a kind of a big case with a Caterpillar log skitter, and we, we put a whole bunch of the, the subordinate criminals in jail uh, and gave them great deals to testify against the main subject. Um, I got orders to Detroit, went up to Detroit, came back to Georgia, Rome, Georgia, for the trial. Uh, myself and a brand new AUSA and two outstanding scientists from Peoria, Illinois, that work for Caterpillar, put on the perfect case against the main subject, and he was found not guilty. Wow! wow. <laughs> it was like right in the you know what, um, and and you know it was a good lesson because perfect isn't always perfect. Yeah, sure. You know, bottom line is a couple of the witnesses vacillated a little bit. And uh, we lost, so I had to go back up to Detroit, explain how I lost my big case. <laughs> um, now in Detroit, I got put on a squad of great guys. Yeah. Um, we we're property guys. We just did theft from interstate shipment, interstate transportation of stolen property, uh, cars, trucks, truck loads of stuff, heavy equipment. We had a bunch of what we called Group One or Group Two undercover ops. Mm-hmm. And they were the kind of undercover op where you still went home at night. Mm-hmm. But, you you know, you dressed like a bum, grew a beard, got a ponytail, and then bought a lot of stolen property on the street. And uh, myself and a guy named Kevin Kendrick and Kerry Thornton put together uh, Group 2, which is the short-term operation. We guaranteed 20 cases in six months. We had 20 cases in a month. We wow. switched it over to a Group 1, which is a, you know, a bigger case. Um we ultimately arrested or, or uh, indicted 220 people. We convicted 218. We had two acquittals. Um, we tried about 40 cases because a lot were police officers and public officials. Wow. And nature of their union contract made them have to go to trial. They, they just couldn't roll over or they would lose benefits or pensions or some such thing. So it was a lot of fun. We, you know, we, we tried cases against some of the best lawyers in Detroit 
got grilled on the stand a lot. Um, and in the same courthouse during that time, the United States was trying John DeLorean. So I got to watch some of that trial. Yeah. And, and, and I hate to say, but, you know, as old guys, we can say the U.S. got their butts kicked on that so profoundly. Is that right? I, he, he just cru- we got crushed. Wow. Well, DeLorean but would. Uh, that, that project took about three years. Well, let me ask you something about the DeLorean case. I mean, you observed that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so it, would you say that uh, DeLorean's case is, an, um, is really a guy who – is why you need to have good, good attorneys representing you um, to go against the prosecutors? Because uh, government prosecutors are really good prosecutors. Yeah, and these were assistant U.S. attorneys. Yeah. They were really good. But frankly – we got caught up in that case, and I say we, the United States, mm-hmm. in the general badness of the guy. Yeah. But the truth is, crimes have elements, and they have to be addressed. And, yeah, sure. And, you know, you always need to go back to those elements, you know, yeah. breaking, entering the dwelling house of another yeah. in the nighttime with intent to commit a felony therein. Yeah. I mean, you can't say this is really a bad guy. we got to get him. Yeah. That, you know, John, you know, it's interesting. We have the uh, Right now we have the trial going on, the uh, uh, Fat uh, Fat Leonard case here in San Diego. Oh, we will talk about that. Oh, it's interesting because, you know, some of the things that you're talking about right now, my sister-in-law, who is a Naval Academy graduate, she has one of her classmates is being, was charged and is being tried right now in that yeah. case. Um, and it, it's interesting the very thing that you're saying right now is some of the things that I think that the government is trying to do. It's a long game, obviously. We're in the first quarter uh, of this trial, but it's, you know, it's trying to make them out to be, look at these, they're bad guys because they did this. Mm-hmm. The elements of the crime are not being established yet. I'm just wondering when they'll come in and try to do that, maybe the fourth quarter of this trial. Well, I'm, I'm a believer in keep it simple because... You know, this general badness theory just doesn't sell. You have to address those elements. Yeah. That's, it's going to be interesting how that goes. So you, I'm sorry. So no. so going back to your FBI time, um, so th- just the culture of the FBI at the time, you're in there and it's the 70s. Uh, you yeah. come in the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover is now, he's gone, right? He's, yeah. And you have a new director. Yeah, we had... Uh, sessions when I was there, I think, and then it changed. Oh, William Webster, when I started, okay, you know, I didn't have any interaction with him. I met him once. I mean, yeah. that, that's neither here nor there. I, I thought the FBI at the time was a very ethical and moral organization, a great bunch of guys I worked with. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's morphed into something quite different now. I'm, I'm yeah, that's yeah, unfortunate. And we, we agree. We don't want to talk bad news, but yeah. I, I'm, We'll readdress that. Yeah, but sure. anyway, during that three years of working undercover, I also had occasion to buy an old house. And I redid every room. Uh, my wife had two children. And I went to law school at night. So it was, it was a pretty busy time. Um, and uh, when I got to the end of law school, I had no intention of leaving the FBI. But all of a sudden opportunity was popping up mm-hmm. so i fired off about five resumes to chicago my home mm-hmm. and and I, lo and behold i got offers to come out and do an interview mm-hmm. so i went and interviewed with some law firms got some offers and thought it over and said you know what this is the next phase i need to do the next thing 
Yeah. I'm going to. So I quit and, and I sold that house in, in Gross Point Farms, Michigan. I bought it for 82000 I sold it for one sixteen, uh-huh. and I thought it was a smart dude. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. This is Gross Point around yeah. uh, Detroit, yeah. which is one of the best neighborhoods. I was the best neighborhood. Beautiful neighborhood. Yeah. I, I was just back there last summer. I went and played golf with some buddies, and, and it's still a beautiful neighborhood. Wow. And my house looks better than it ever looked. And I bet it's worth but, millions now. <laughs> So now we, we, we pack up and move to Chicago. We're back more or less home. Yeah. And I started this law firm. It's Foreign, Wiss, and Schultz. Tom Foreign was the United States attorney during the Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. Dick Schultz was the guy that tried that case. Bob Wiss was an eminent domain lawyer of, of substantial reputation. It was about 40 guys. It was a boutique trial law firm. They came to work about 8.39. They stayed till 10.00. Even on Saturdays, they just worked, and they worked hard cases. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, I was I was out of my league. I was yeah. scrambling, uh-huh. um, and everybody was. All, all the associates, I you know, but I was thirty four. That was the difference. You know, most of the guys there were you know twenty seven, twenty eight. Sure. And, and uh, it, it was it was tough. So I'll, I'll just tell you two events that happened while I was. Because most of the days weren't that good. One day I come to work and, and the Dick Schultz calls me in his office. He said, hey, one of our clients is Hitachi America. And the president or, or whoever the, the senior guy was, daughter had been arrested for stealing a very expensive pair of earrings in a, in a high-end, you know, iMagnum or, or a Bonwit Teller type store. And when they put the grab on her, she really raised a lot of hell and there's a big problem up on the North Shore, exclusive neighborhood, Lake Forest or something. Mm-hmm. Get up there and fix that. So I drive up there, and I meet this detective. And he's clearly a former Chicago police officer who's got himself into this nicer department mm-hmm. now. And he's a hard ass. <laughs> and I, here I am in my blue suit, my nice briefcase, and I lay things out. And I tell him, you know, we're going to get this young lady some counseling. And we understand that, you know, she was... And the guy looks at me, he goes, you know, I'd help any kid, anytime, anywhere. He goes, but this kid is going down. She really pissed me off. And she insulted a lot of people and she raised a lot of hell. So I look at him and I go through the whole spiel again. And he goes, I guess you weren't listening. (laughs) (laughs) I look him in the eye and I said, listen, pal, a year ago, I was an FBI agent in Detroit. I quit my job. I came out here. I said, I, I, I need a single. You know, can you give me a hand here? Yeah. Guy says, oh, you should have told me. Yeah, we'll take care of it. It's always a deal to be made. I get back to the firm and Dick Schultz says, what happened? I said, I took care of it. He goes, what'd you do? I said, I can't tell you everything. And I, of course, I couldn't tell him I groveled. <laughs> At any rate, that was one good day. Another good day, one day Bob Witz comes by my office. He's a name partner, but he's of counsel. And he looks at my honorable discharge from the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And he asked me about it. And I tell him the truth. I said, man, I was kicked out in a year. I didn't, you know, I, and there it's, it's two feet from me right now like it was then. Yeah. So at any rate, he says, come by my office about 2 o'clock today. All right. So I, I stop. And he's, he's got a corner office on the 30th floor in the Chicago Loop. Mm-hmm. Spectacular. Back then, the big partners didn't have desks. They had tables. 
and there he sits. He's got all this military stuff on the wall. He was a, a officer in the Korean War, nice. and then he became a JAG, and he was a JAG admiral in the reserves. And he told me, he said, I'd like you to think about joining the Navy Reserve. And I just thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and 20 minutes into his spiel, I thought, this might be a good idea. <laughs> he gives me the name of three guys. He says, call these guys and ask them what they're doing in the reserves. And I did, and they were doing interesting, dynamic stuff. So I come back and talk to them. And I said, I'm interested. He says, okay, I also want you to think about maybe just going into the Navy. He says, you know, you're 34. He goes, this is not a place for, for an adult working as an associate. This is, this is slavery. I know that. And you know that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, no way. Two weeks later, I quit and joined the Navy. Um, so I, a, a couple of people were shocked, including my family. Uh, and then because I was joining the Navy, Bob Wiss, a named partner, arranges for a going away party for me that we have in the Sears Tower. Not on the top, but somewhere in the Sears Tower. Sure. So the whole firm shows up and they're all kind of giving me the eye like, who in that? Are you? <laughs> and it was just light hors d'oeuvres and cocktails. Yeah. But Bob Wiss grabs me, tells me, you know, I talked to him maybe three times ever. Mm -hmm. He says, John's joined the Navy. God bless him. Adios. And that was it. So, at any rate, off we went. I sold, I, I built a new house in Chicago. I sold it, made a couple bucks. Uh, off to Naval uh, Officer Indoctrination School, then off to uh, uh, Naval Justice School. Pretty interesting, not real hard. Newport's a pretty neat place. Yeah. Tough. Beautiful. And then, off to San Diego. Yeah. So I land in San Diego, go to the commanding officer, Al Rudy. He says, uh, you probably want to be a prosecutor. I said, yeah. He says, well, we don't have any openings for prosecutor. Would you consider being a defense attorney? Yeah. And I said, absolutely. I'm, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember this, this time. This would be about 1990. Yep. And the Navy was getting beat up on these consensual or, 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 or um, acquaintance rapes. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be delicate on this, but, you know, yeah. you know, the, the I lived that. This has changed so yeah. much over the years. Yeah. But, and, and they were taking them to Article 32s and they were taking them to trial. Yeah. And, and it was kind of like, we wash our hands of this, let the justice system work it. Yeah. And a lot of those cases had no business in trial. And, and you know, a lot of victims got re-victimized mm -hmm. and it was, and, you know, I was part of that cadre of guys that were doing that yeah so you know it was the assignment and and you know as a defense attorney you don't usually get to win a lot of cases we won some cases because sure. they were cases yeah you know a, a slight deviation that's when i first met ed jackson and to this day you know he's a good freaking cop yeah he is you really he, he's serious about his job and he, yeah. his interrogation skills are tedious and good man he he i saw him do some good work yeah he, he's a good man he doesn't love me but <laughs> well I, you were, I, I mean I, hey, I, obviously you were you were the adversary so he, he's right, of course right, he would have that right. feeling but uh any rate i i had i had just a great experience at defense council in, in uh in san diego 
And then about two and a half years into that, Al Rudy calls me. And Al Rudy thought he was going to get Mac Williams' job, mm-hmm. but he didn't. Mac Williams got it. Yeah. So uh, Al says to me, you know, there's a slot at NIS for a lawyer. He said, John, you'd, you'd just be perfect there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, yeah, this is kind of intriguing, actually. So away I went. So I land there, and uh, as we talked about earlier, Tailhook was going on, Iowa was going on, NIS was fighting for arrest authority, Mac Williams was in deep kimchi, um, they were trying to get automatic weapons, uh, That the suicide investigations were being questioned by a bunch of staffers on the hill who didn't know anything about criminal investigations i i think charlie lanham and and bob powers went up there and got grilled by smart ill-willed jerks and i'll tell you what those guys really maintain their composure and and they looked them in the eye and explained those cases carefully and you know in the end not one of those cases was reversed or changed not one yeah. But man, they really beat us up on that. Yeah. Well, let's stop uh, right needless there. Needless to say, they beat us up on Tailhook. They fired Mac. They brought in a team that really was outstanding. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, uh, John, before we go on to that. Yeah. This was a really critical time with NIST. I came on in 1989, and I lived through all okay. these things you're talking about. I was in San Diego, and I was living through the, all this that you're talking about. And as an yeah. agent, I remember saying, why aren't we fighting back? Why aren't we you know, doing something to, to fight back, especially with Iowa? Uh, because I knew a lot of the guys from Norfolk who were doing the investigation. I, don't know, I knew them to be top-quality investigators. And with Tailhook, being involved in Tailhook, you know, I, I had my own personal opinions about how that investigation probably should have been run. But, you know, it was being, it was being done as it was being done. And as a, as a soldier, I was a good soldier being told to do what I was supposed to do. And, I, you know, but I can remember that was the closest I came to leaving the organization and going to uh, DEA because I felt like my organization didn't want to defend itself. It just basically became the dog that was the Navy had on a chain and said, you know, bad dog. You know, every time we would do something, somebody would come out and say bad dog. Uh, so this was a really critical time for the organization because we lost a lot of good agents to other agencies because it just felt like that the agency didn't want to defend itself. But you're giving us the inside story. It's really interesting because I know Mr. Powers is a good man. I know that Charlie Lanham were good people. They were really good people. And the fact that they went to Congress and had to go through what they had to go through, I remember watching those hearings and saying, God, man, how come they don't just scream at these people? (laughs) For them to hold their composure was just extremely, just spoke to the professionalism of those guys. I couldn't agree more. I, I was just so impressed with those guys. And, uh, it, you know, they got through that. And, you know, I got, you know, I formed some pretty good friendships with a bunch of guys that ultimately became leaders in the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really enjoyed my time there. It was pretty, it was fun. I bet um, it was interesting. One of my co-counsel there, Tom Gallagher, I don't know if you ever knew Tom. He, he's a managing partner of a giant firm in Philadelphia right now. And he's he's published Two, three hundred documents. He's won cases. It, it, to this day, he's the best lawyer I've ever met. Yeah, I mean, smart, uh, good basketball player too. I mean, just a <laughs> just a good guy, man, in every yeah. way. So, at any rate, 
at the end of my time, um, I hooked up with the Navy General Counsel as a civilian. So I went over there and was part of the A-12 litigation. And that so, was a what, so what was the A-12 in, uh, litigation? Well, there was a big uh, attack fighter aircraft that was going to be like a little B-2. So it was a wing. Okay. It was no fuselage, just a body, a wing. And uh, Dick Cheney was a sec def, and he just wasn't happy with the progress. And he went out to uh, somewhere in Oklahoma and looked at uh, the progress, and he saw a bunch of stuff, and it turned out everything they showed him had failed inspection, and he was furious. And he terminated the contract, but he did not terminate it properly. He didn't say for default. He didn't say for convenience. He just said terminate, stop the funding. That caused 15 years of litigation. So his action was probably right, but he needed to say for default. You didn't make the thing you're supposed to make. And, of course, the, the plaintiffs, they, you know, they sued immediately. Their position was you got bored, the Soviet Union went away, and you don't need this airplane. And we did all this work, and now you don't want it. Yeah. And that became uh, – a huge litigation. I became an expert on thermal set carbon epoxies and how to lay them up and cook them and autoclaves. And it was kind of fun, but it was, and we had 50 lawyers doing the work of 10. Mm -hmm. So we beat everything to death. We over litigated it. We over tried. We, we got into the weeds where we had no business. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it was a, a big draw. But like I said, it took 15 years. We had three stories or three floors of a building in Crystal City a skiff wow imagine the amount of money that went into building turning those places into a skiff we had little vibrators on the windows it was insane wow it, it was america not doing what we do best it was yeah. goofy wow so i decided maybe this whole lawyer thing wasn't a very good idea maybe i'll just go back into the fbi so i apply and they hired me they, they did a background they polygraphed me they did all this stuff and they just wouldn't tell me where they were going to send me. Mm -hmm. And 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 it was some GS-15 clerk that just had me by the you-know-what. said, I, I needed to know where I was going. I had mm -hmm. two kids. And uh, I went out one night with a bunch of guys, Ray Main and Borzakowski. And yeah, sure. Good Eric people. Simon and Pat McKenna. And I don't know. I think Beatro might have been there. But I'm, I'm whining and crying just like I am now. And they said, why don't you just come on with us? And then, you know, they said, you know, San Diego would be easy for us. That's our, you know, we can send anybody there. That's huge. Yeah. And I made the choice. I called the FBI up and they sent me a nasty letter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so off I go to San Diego. And uh, now this is where the story gets a little rough here. I, I showed up thinking I was pretty smart money guy. Yeah. And uh, I really didn't understand the investigative ethos of NCIS. You know, we were NCIS by then. Yeah. Very well. And, and uh, just one thing that happened, I, I I had, you know, I was on the fraud squad, but I had duty, mm -hmm. like regular duty. Yeah. So when some, some half-drunk sailor calls and says, you know, his car's been stolen. <laughs> and as I talked to him, I realized he's lost his car or, or his buddy's got his car. He just came back from two weeks and he doesn't know where it is. It's in one of these lots. So I tell him, you know what, and you call me Monday. If you don't have your car, we'll, we'll help you. And I write it up, just a little brief blurb. Yeah. 
I come in Monday morning and, and uh, I get a note. See, Mr. Simmons. Cliff Simmons was the SAC. Oh, sure. Yeah. I go in there and, and I kind of knew him, yeah. but he wasn't in a happy mood. Oh, boy. And he told me, he says, that was a case to be worked. And that sailor was entitled to you working his case, not on Monday morning then. Yeah. That's how we do it here. And I held my tongue and I thought, whoa, I need to re reevaluate my, my process. Because, you know, I, you know, not, not to over talk about the FBI, but you get a dog case in the FBI, you go to a AUSA and they'll decline it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, sure. You don't have to work any crappy cases. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I remember I went out to North Island one time and somebody had lost a laptop out of a squadron. They weren't sure they even locked it up. The keys were in the drawer. Mm -hmm. The reserves used that space on one weekend a month. The, the junior flying club met there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were 200 suspects yeah. on a laptop that contained nothing classified. I was like, I don't want to work this case. Yeah. And, but we did. And, you know, that's I, it's, it's, a, it's a stark difference. And, and it took me some adjustment mm -hmm. uh, to get my head out of my backside um but at any rate so then we have to go to fletzy okay now i'm the oldest guy <laughs> and because i i'm the most experienced i get elected to be the class president that ain't good yeah so every little bs thing that happened i found myself in the middle of yeah. and i'm unable to not advocate for positions and, and i couldn't keep my mouth shut pissed a few people off uh you know i had to give the the, the speech at, at at the class uh graduation i i think if if rocky bush is out there anywhere he'll remember it because i he and i had a little bet that i could do something and and i did um but at any rate then we did the add-on and again i was the class president that pissed some more people off <laughs> But thank God I got through that. Yeah. And, and it was arduous because of, of, you know, knowing more is not always good. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, you know, I later in 2009, I went back as a class counselor and I told, we had some detectives and I said, just do what they say. Don't, you know, save all that knowledge you got from when you go to work. Yeah. Don't. And, and, you know, it's easy to say that, but, you know, over time, you just want to speak up. Hey, did I lose you? No, no. I, I, somebody, oh, okay. Somebody was trying to Any call me. So we get through that. I go back to San Diego. I, I, I work with a for a really good guy that I didn't really get along with that well, and I, we'll just leave that alone. But after a while, Russ Porter came in, and he was my boss, and I really had the highest opinion of Russ Porter. I, yeah. I think he's just a tremendous guy. Yeah. Um, and, and things were going okay. I, I had a bunch of six-year cases, and I was in the middle. I didn't open them, and I wasn't going to finish them. But you just had to plot along doing these fraud cases. Yeah. And I really didn't mind it. I was okay with that. Yeah. And, of course, I was also working at the TSO as a reserve JAG prosecutor. Mm -hmm. And I was doing duty calls. And, and it was all right. It was pretty good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I once again, I attribute that to Russ Porter. He's just a good guy. Mm -hmm. So um, I put in for management. Now, I know I was pretty junior, but I kind of thought, look, I've been a prosecutor, I've been an FBI agent, and I've been, you know, I've been around a bit. Yeah, sure. And I got a document back. I think Franz Schwarm, initiator, wrote it, but it gave me pretty much a C minus and said, hey, dude, 
you might have done it, but you ain't done it here. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it kind of pissed me off, but, you know, reality is reality. Yeah. So uh, shortly thereafter, the USS Constellation opened up. So I said, all right, let's start playing the game here. Mm-hmm. I put in and got it. Worked for uh, Jamie Kelly, tremendous commanding officer. Kenny Floyd, XO, tremendous guy. Adrian Rowe was the JAG, was a friend already. To this day, we're good friends. We talk once yeah. a week. Uh, we went to sea. Day five, we had a death on the USS Thatch. Uh, and then I, that's when I learned a little bit about NCIS death investigations. Man, okay. we worked those till they're purple. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, the helicopter hit this guy in the head. It was a, oh. an accident, pure and simple. Yeah. But... You know, we had a we had a Jagman investigation, we had my investigation, then we had an uh, aviation safety investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all stepping on each other, and it was, it was pretty messy. Um, for some reason, they they had Kim Kelly be my point of contact back at head at, at San Diego, okay. and she did, she did a great job tidying up my so so work. Um, <laughs> I, I owe her to this day for that. Um, and, I, and I've told her that. Um, we went to Sydney. Great time. Nobody got in a jam. We went to Perth. And we had... We, we got there early. Me, me and the, the shore patrol guys. Mm-hmm. We flew off in Adelaide. And got to Perth. Met with the uh, commissioner of police, Bruce Brennan. He and his wife, Jill, took us out to dinner, played golf. I'm still in touch with him. Mm-hmm. Met a guy named Jack Deeney from the uh, Major Incident Group. Mm-hmm. And I told Jack, I said, you know, if anything does happen, I, I would appreciate that you get us involved as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, third night there, Jack Deeney, one, uh, one of your fighter pilots, has been having a, a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old girl. Oh, boy. And he's in the Kings Park Hotel room, you know, 1382. We're going. You want to go? Yeah, I want to go. Well, he wasn't a fighter pilot, of course. <laughs> he was an aviation mechanic of some kind. Yeah. And uh, the, the protocol was they conducted the interview. I got to watch. Yeah, sure. And he basically said, uh, I, I knew she was young. Actually, she told me she was 14. And mm-hmm. It was her birthday that day, and, and I yeah. bought her a cake. And uh, I, I like young girls because they're so stupid. It, it, it was... It was appalling. It was so bad. And uh, needless to say, we left him. We did not maximize U.S. jurisdiction. He stayed behind. Wow. Went to so it was a failure. You know, you, know, it, you always feel a, a failure when your ship leaves without one of your crew members. Yeah, sure. But, you know, he kind of bought it. So, uh, but, hey, John, was, let me ask you about that. As a former carry agent myself, and, I, and when sailors mess up in port like that, um, and, and this was, and this is just a disgusting, you know, uh, you know, violation of, of somebody's life. Um, yeah. you know, I remember going to the CEO on my ship when we had a sailor break into the Japanese embassy by mistake, um, oh. and, and destroy the embassy. And, uh, you know, he wanted him left there in Singapore. And, and, you know, I remember the JAG officer on the board, the ship making the argument that, you know, we have a status of forces agreement. We have to, was there any discussion about status of forces agreement with, with the Australia regarding this guy and, and taking him out? out Yes. And, and they were so appalled at this guy's behavior. They said, you know, they, they always have the right to assert jurisdiction and they did. Yeah. 
and and frankly, we we tried a lot of stuff at a lot of levels, and no, yeah, they weren't. Well, I, th- I think that was uh, that was probably the appropriate measure. This is such a uh, I think so. yeah. I think that the Australians made the the right call. I do too, and I you know I don't know what your opinion of Australia is, but I think it's the United States forty years ago. <laughs> I don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I, 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 we were, unfortunately, we never got to stop in Australia. Every time we were going to go to Perth, this is when we go back to this Fat Leonard thing in a minute. It, yeah. it seems like we were always drawn towards Hong Kong. Or, <laughs> we went to yeah. Hong Kong twice and no Perth. Oh, yeah. And we were, we were a little bit upset about that. Yeah. So at any rate, we leave there and we went to the Persian Gulf, or the, the uh, Northern Arabian, Arabian Gulf. And we spent almost four months there. We did four liberties in Jebel Ali. Two in the sandbox, two out in town. Uh, of course, before every Liberty, I would be on the, the video mm-hmm. being very specific about what could and could not be done and what would happen to you in the event that you you know, violated certain laws. And it was very clear if you stole something, they'd chop your arm off. Now, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not. But, uh, but it's, a good, it's a good tactic when, yeah, you're, yeah. when you're talking so to sailors. Day, we get a call from a silver merchant in the gold souk and they say one of your guys came in here and stole a very expensive piece of sterling silver so i'm like oh man here we go so i fly back we were already back on the ship i I go back in and i meet with these guys they're all indian guys from kerala and they run this silver shop and they've got four cameras front back left right Mm -hmm. sure as hell it's our guy man and he is he he isn't. He, he is carefully tucking this thing into his pants, and it's it's a crucifix of all things. Oh my goodness! He's stealing a crucifix, and and he's got it. You know, he's got a backpack on, hat backwards, um, short pants. Uh, just you know, he's an American. This, it, it's absolutely our guy. Mm. So I fly back to the ship with a bunch of still pictures and in a, in a brief clip of a movie. And when I land, I um, I go into the hangar bay. I see this old warrant officer named Cowboy, and I show him the picture. I say, you know this guy? He goes, yeah. I said, what's his name? He goes, I don't know, but I I know him. I, I, I'll get him for you. I said, when you do, you get an escort and send him to my office and, and let me know. So I go to my office, and I open up my computer, and the first email there from Cowboy, got him. So he's on his way. So this kid walks in, and he's, a, he's an already, and he's, he's a big, tough you know the ordnance guys. They're, yeah, they're carrying weapons. Big, big bad, dudes. Bad mofos. So he <laughs> comes in, and uh, I said, "I'm not going to ask you any questions. But I want to show you something." And I show him a couple pictures of his himself in that shop. I said, "Look, you stole the crucifix." I said, "The Emiratis want you back. They want you back today, and they're going to chop your arm off." That I've spoken to the ship surgeon. We can remove the arm on the ship. There'll be no risk of infection. You'll be fitted with a prosthesis. If you can preserve at least the general discharge, you can get VA benefits. Where is that crucifix? He reaches down in his dungarees and he's got it. And it is, it's it's nine inches long. It's like, how the hell did you think it was okay to steal this? And he's like, oh, I was trying to pay for it. I said, no, I've seen the movies, but no. So anyway, I fly back with the crucifix, give it to the guys. They're happy. The guy goes to mast. He doesn't get, he, we don't chop his arm off, of course. <laughs> and 
liberty for a couple more times. But, uh, you know, we, it, it was kind of a neat moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that happened at golf, I, I became pretty close friends with uh, Ray Spicer. I said not close friends, but I, associates with Ray Spicer, our Commodore. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ray uh, was running these MEOs. They, they were doing maritime interdiction operations in the northern Gulf. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, I'd really like to go up there and do that with those guys. He's like, why, man? It's 120 degrees out. I said, you know, it's just a life experience I want to do. Yeah. Go. So I'm up there on the Kincaid. We're climbing up the sides of these ships, and they're, they're finding uh, fuel oil in their ballast tanks because they're smuggling it into Iran. Right. So we get this one guy, and he's got 33 uh, uh, ballast tanks, and every one is just full. Water is lapping on the, the ship. I mean, he is down to the – there's no gunnels showing. And he's a, a Somali guy. And I can tell he can speak English, but he's pretending he can't. I'm sure. But little at a time, I'm getting a little something out of him. So finally, it's like, where did you learn to be a, you know, a, a ship driver? So, so I was in the Navy. I'm like, what Navy? He goes, Somali Navy. I'm like, really? I said, where? He goes, Baku, Azerbaijan. I'm like, Gavarito Ruski, I speak a little bit of Russian. Uh-huh. He immediately did because all his time was with the Russian Navy in Baku, Azerbaijan. This opens up everything. Now he can speak English. <laughs> and we're, we start having a really nice conversation and he, he just he fesses up pretty much so the only thing I really wanted to know how often do you smuggle oil into Iran and now he's again just looking at me like I'm an imbecile and he can't understand the question finally after the fourth time he looks me right in the eye and he says and his body language said, are you that stupid to ask that question? He said, every time. <laughs> I had a good laugh at myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he looked at me like, do you really think I'm hauling charcoal around? <laughs> I'm making money here, buddy. Oh, but uh, that was kind of funny. So, okay, we leave. You know, we, we spent four months in the Gulf. Just a great experience. We changed COs. We went from a great CO to one that might even have been greater. Fozzie Miller, just a great guy. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, the, the CAD, Jerry Beeman, was from my high school. Wow. And, had, and, and was a, a F-14 Rio who got out of the Navy and was briefly an FBI agent. And I worked with him in Atlanta. Wow. So, and now I come back on the ship and there he is, CAD. So, you know, many years later, it was kind of a, a chuckle. He, he got me a hop in an F-14, which is pretty cool. That's cool. And he was just the world's nicest guy. So at any rate, we leave. I fly from Bahrain to Singapore. That was going to be our stop. And and as you probably remember, one squadron takes the shore patrol on each uh, port call. Right. Well, the squadron that was taking the shore patrol was the F-14 squadron. Mm-hmm. And two nights before the – and so a lot of their families had come to Singapore for a – two nights before they got there, they splashed one and lost the pilot in the reel. Oh, you talk about solemn, man, it, ugh, it was ugly. Mm. So the ship pulls in. I think we were the first or second carrier to go to Whiskey Pier in the Changi Naval Base, brand new pier. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and be, it used to be an anchorage, but this was pier yeah. side. Pretty cool. Yep. Uh, there were a bunch of sedans lined up, Mercedes. Wow. They were for department heads, 
in, in uh, squadron COs. Wow. And, and most of them didn't use them. They, they, they were, they were smart enough to say those cars are for official business. If I don't need it, I don't need it. Yeah. And they gave them to chiefs or JOs and said, you know, guys, don't get DUIs, don't get in trouble. Use this car for your liberty. Yeah. It, they didn't want. And this was Glenn Marine doing this, and I was totally naive mm-hmm. to what was going on. Never did figure that out. Yeah. Um, guy got arrested for fighting. We wiggled him out of it. I met this guy at the Kampong Java police station named, named Dip, D-E-E-P Singh. He's probably 6'2". He was a Sikh, real dark-skinned Indian police officer. And when he, when he looked like he was about 6'10", with that turban on, and he scared the living bejesus out of our sailors. And, of course, they let everybody go. And, you know, we had a pretty successful visit. From there, we went to Hong Kong. That went very well. Uh, then we went on to Hawaii, picked up tigers. Um, my dad and both my kids got to ride the ship back on September 10th, 2011. I took my dad and kids up to Vultures Row to watch the practice air show. Well, it's a good thing we did because the next day was 911 and there was no air show. We zipped back to San Diego and, uh, as you know, everything changed. Yeah. Everything. Everybody was doing things related to the possibility of what was going to happen next. Um, because I had done the afloat tour, I was good for five years in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of comfy with that. Uh, but I really took away a lot of good feelings about that the carrier tour. I, I just loved it. It was yeah. Um, and the Constellation was always a good ship. Had a good reputation. It, it was. And, you know, they have old log books, and you could see the names of many people, to include Ed Jacks, mm-hmm. who had been out there. And it was just a, it, it was just a blessed ship. Yeah. Good bunch of people. Yeah, I had the Kitty Hawk. It wasn't a blessed ship. Well, they called it the <laughs> shitty kitty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so, you know, I walked underneath the kitty once in dry dock in uh, Yokosuka. Oh, boy. You're yeah. lucky it didn't fall on Pretty, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, at any rate... Um, a gen comes out and there's an opening in Singapore. So I tell my kids, hey, what do you think about Singapore? And like, not a chance, no way. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, this is a cool opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I, I I called a couple people that I knew. I won't use their names, but uh, I, I somehow got that to happen. Mm-hmm. So off we go to Singapore. Now, before we got to Singapore, I had talked to someone at the Singapore American School. And they had a bunch of kids meet my kids on the first day we were there. Took them out. And I'll tell you what. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. We had a beautiful home. Had a great school. Kids had pretty long leash there. Uh, young white kids can drink there because the Chinese can tell how old you are about as well as we can tell how they are. I mean, it, it, it was, they were college kids immediately mm-hmm. there. The office... You know, when I went through there on the carrier, there were three agents. By the time I got there as a, a part of the cadre, there were five. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, we, we were up to eight, nine. It was yeah, just exploding. Just Bob Mulligan was the boss, a total gentleman, mm-hmm. good guy, yep. every way. We traveled nonstop. We serviced, you know, port visits, exercises, um, 
there had just been a revelation of a big plot to blow up the U.S. Embassy in some places that were used um, by U.S. servicemen. Uh, the coal had just happened. 911 had just happened. Uh, shortly after we got there, the Bali bombing happened. All kinds of hotels and embassies were being hit. It was force protection was real. Yeah. And frankly, that's all we did. Yeah. We we were totally immersed in force protection. Yeah, it went from a kind of a sleepy gas stop to uh, to being one of the premier offices in the agency during that time. Well, you know that what what happened was the Navy was putting so many assets in the Gulf. That and they were working as kids really hard there. Mm -hmm. They decided that good port visits were important for retention. Retention yeah. was important for a you know a mature workforce. So they really wanted these port visits to happen. Mm -hmm. And and you know we were part and parcel of the, the security involved in that. So um, it was a perfect storm for the the other the, the Glen Marine phenomena that we'll talk about in a little bit. Sure. So I'm there about a month. And then Greg Holride and I are supposed to go to Bali, Indonesia and do it. Two ships are going to visit. Greg gets sick or called away or something. And Bob says, John, can you do it yourself? I'm like, yeah, you know, come on. So off I go to Bali. I get to Bali and they've got a little fleet landing at Jimbaran Beach, a little building. There's some people in there working. They're running Liberty boats back and forth to a, it was a ammo ship and a DDG or something. And, uh, it all went really well, but there was a guy there just working his butt off. Just, he was doing it all. Well, it was Leonard Francis. Wow. Um, and he was, and I, you know, I didn't know that he owned the company. And actually, I think he was in the process of becoming the owner of the company because his father owned it prior to that. I, I don't know the details on that, but I walked away very impressed with his work ethic. Yeah. And I, you know, I didn't much else. Not, not a lot of interaction with him. Um, so I go back to Singapore and, uh, you know, over the, over the four years I was there, I, we covered so many port visits, so many exercises. And, and I got to give a high five to the STAT team. You know, we brought STAT out there to do training prior to exercises and ship visits. They were the most expert, talented, flexible bunch of guys that I've ever met. So, John, can you explain who the stat guys are for uh, NCIS? Well, back then, uh, yeah, well, stat is a security training assessment and assistance pro uh, program, Pacific. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of former Navy SEALs, a lot of law enforcement, a lot of MAs, mm -hmm. guys who know how to put their hands on weapons and people, uh, guys who know how to de-escalate things, mm -hmm. um, guys who know entry control point, first responder, I mean, the kind of training that countries need, mm -hmm. guys who can go in and establish rapport mm -hmm. quickly, guys who can assess capabilities, guys who can enhance capabilities, guys who can document what the work they've done. Um, you know, Bill Kuhn and Donnie Gracio, and I could go on and on with names, but these, these guys are just professionals. And, you know, a lot of times you go to some of these countries, they show up for a seminar, the venue's not proper the lights aren't there. The extension cords aren't there. The place isn't clean. The students aren't up to caliber. Uh, they're not ready to go on Monday. Um, these guys just knuckled down and got it done, man. I, I tell you, I just, 
and they made us look so good because you know you go to a foreign country and you, you you're dealing with a contemporary colleague and you know a guy who wants free beers and t-shirts and hats is, is one kind of guy yeah. but a guy who wants training for his people that's the guy you want to know yeah sure man we delivered we i i will i will say without any doubt that ncis in conjunction with the stat team increased the capabilities of our partner nations there mm-hmm. tenfold yeah. during that we i mean we needed to do it and we did it we did a good job yeah it it, it was fun work um Bob Mulligan gave us all a long leash. I think most of us treasured that and enjoyed the work. Yeah. Uh, right at the end of my time there, Singapore became field office. And it, let's just put it this way. It was time for us old guys to get the hell out of there and let the new people take over. Yeah. And, and that happened. So I get, I get tons of leave. So I go to northern Wisconsin where my parents had retired, and I'm there just in between. I got orders to Bahrain, by the way, so I'm going to Bahrain. Yeah. Susie Del Sardo, my old classmate, mm-hmm. I don't know if she called me or sent me an email, but she said, John, Bahrain's now unaccompanied, and if you execute this memo that I'll write for you, you'll get 25% more pay. <laughs> and man, she did me a solid on that. Yeah. Of course, I did it, fasted back to her, and boom. So I showed up at Bahrain, the bosses, Ed Winslow. Yep. And I think uh, Matt Butler was there, Greg Mack. Later turned to Mark Russ, Henry Roney. You know, sometime during my time there, I worked for all of those guys. I liked them all. Yeah. I, I, I found them easy people to work for. I found them people that wanted to be kept informed, but otherwise stayed out of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got, they eventually made me the Skyo for NAVSEN. But they also let me do stat seminars in Kenya, Seychelles with Pete Green. Um, Winslow sent me to Afghanistan to do an investigation. Uh, I did a lot of piracy stuff down in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some narcotic stuff off the Makran coast um, with DEA and, and, and some Mio guys. So it was good that I knew something about Mio's from my previous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left, I think Kurt Perkins took that over, and they really turned it into something really good. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, um, drug interdiction, using Navy assets. And I, I just really, really enjoyed my time in Bahrain. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like Bahrain per se, but I like professionally, I like being there. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Good bunch of people on the squad. Worked for Brian Curley for a while. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, worked with Pete Green a bit. He's a good I talked to him the other day. I like, you know, they're just guys that I always sure. stay in touch with. Sure. Uh, at the end of my second year, a gen comes out. They're looking for someone to go to Jadif West, Camp Smith, Hawaii, to work in the Singapore AOR. Yeah. Um, job title and duties, TBD. It's like, man, that sounds perfect. I, I, so I put in for it. I got it. Yeah. I think it turned out, I, I think John McCoy drafted that position and I actually think he, he had me in mind for it yeah. uh, and uh, hey, the job as great as it sounded I don't think we ever reached the potential we thought we would yeah. uh, I don't know that we had embassy buy in at the level we needed to yeah. we, we, we all we, we spent too much time convincing ourselves of what we already knew sure. um, and we didn't spend enough time convincing the ambassadors that they needed to help us. Um, Cause frankly, the ambassadors are not 
that keen on law enforcement stuff. They're more interested in commercial activity, in spite of what we think. And and uh, I don't know. It was a good tour. Two years. I worked for uh, Sam Worth, who I thought was just a, a freaking good guy to work for. Mm-hmm. I think Bob Flannery was his deputy or assistant, what EA, whatever. Jeez, uh, just just a bunch of good people there. Really enjoyed it. Glenn Rossler was there. Um, we just had just had a Nada Manley was on the staff. Mm-hmm. Just nice people, and it was just fun. Um, but for some reason, they needed someone to do a quick fill as the Skyo on Seventh Fleet mm-hmm. on the Blue Ridge. And I always had wanted that job. Now I was late in my career; I didn't need any part of it. But I told Sam I wanted to do it. He made it happen. Mm-hmm. So. Any rate, one one little diversion. Just before I left Hawaii, the the movers just screwed up my move. Didn't show up. Uh. Screamed at me. It was just and so I tuned them up pretty good, and we got no big shouting match. Well, as it turns out, one of the persons that I crossed was a friend of Mister Worth's, and and I got a call from uh, Nelly, who was Sam's one of his admins and he should call Mr. Worth immediately. And I could tell by her voice I was gonna yeah. so I called Sam, he chewed my ass pretty good. And I was gonna fight back and I thought, nah, this, I ain't gonna win this. Yeah. So, you call them and apologize. I said, done. So I did it. And then it went away. And and Sam didn't hold it against me. So yeah. I appreciate that. Because he could could have, you know, could have could have roughed me up a little. Yeah, sure. So I get to now this is where life gets weird. Now, obviously, I knew Leonard quite well from my time in Singapore. I didn't yeah. spend a lot of time on that, but I do. Yeah. Very well. Had a lot of smoked cigars with him, drank Johnny Walker Blue with him. I paid for as many as he did. I assure you that I never went to karaoke with him. Thank <laughs> so, any rate, yeah. I check on board the Blue Ridge, and I'm kind of getting the cold shoulder. I'm pretty senior, and I even showed up in uniform a couple times because I would drill there in Yokosuka. I want to make sure they know not only am I an agent, but I'm I'm one of you. Yeah, uh, I'm not really breaking the ice real well, and uh, apparently there had been some some consternation between the field office and and the the tool shop, the Intel shop. But I wasn't sure. But what I didn't know was either DCIS or NCIS had been out there picking at people over the Glen Marine thing. Mm. And nobody knew what to make of me. Mm. And uh, it, it kind of, you know, in, in the two shop, it was freezing cold. They kept the air conditioner. Sure. And everybody had a flight jacket. Yeah. Hey, where'd you get the jackets? I said, I'll go down to supply. They got a bunch of them. So I go down there. And, of course, the, the supply shop on the on the Blue Ridge has got a supply officer, but they've also got the fleet supply guy though. So they're they're over, way overmanaged, mm-hmm. way, way too much leadership on that ship. The captains falling over each other. So I tell the, the captain, who's the fleet supply guy, I say, "Hey, I need a flight jacket." He's like, "What?" He looked like I'd ask him for a, a gold bar. Yeah. But he had just been interrogated, oh, and, and he was really sensitive. Now. To this day, I don't know why I wasn't read into that. Um, I, I gotta think at least at some point I was a suspect. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. Uh, I don't know. And I have asked people that would know, and they've said no. But 
they need to say no. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, it was a little dicey there for a while. Yeah, sure. But then that tsunami hit Fukushima. Mm-hmm. And our agents did some good collection up there. And uh, that kind of made it okay. Yeah. They did a they really did. They, they risked their lives going up there and doing some things and uh, provided us with some good information about the Sendai port and how close we could get ships and things. It was, they were the, they had cell phones that worked and a lot of people didn't. So they, they were a valuable asset and they kind of make me look good. And uh, we, we, we changed the relationship after that, yeah. but it, it was a little, it was weird because yeah. I, I couldn't really didn't know what to make of it, but yeah. but I think it was because guys were scared. Because yeah. you know some of the guys that were on that staff at that time are now in jail. Yeah. So. Wow. You know, Great. And, and for right reasons, they should be. Yeah. Uh, so at any rate, I'm just over the year mark there, and I get a call from JAG, and it was uh, the, the deputy at uh, Pathfleet. He says, "Hey, can you take a six month leave of absence?" Mm-hmm. I said, what for? He says, well, we've got the USNS Mercy going on a Pacific Partnership mission. We need a JAG, and you, you'd be the perfect guy. And, and, and before we go, i got to go back in time for okay. one story that is worth putting into this. During my time in Singapore, my parents came out and visited. They stayed a month. And uh, one of the things they did, they went over to Brunei with me for a ship visit. We had a brand-new uh, DDG came into to Brunei. So they came on board the ship, and, and for you know they had a reception of sorts. So after the reception, we're down at the, at the ship's brow with with the deputy chief of mission, the U.S. ambassador, the commanding officer of the ship, my mom and dad, and Leonard Francis. Oh, wow. We're chatting, and everything's very cordial. And as we leave, my mom looks back and points at Leonard and says. Keep your eye on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's and great. You know, what? <laughs> you know, I don't want to waste too much time on that, but you know, anybody who really got hoodwinked by that guy um, was either lying or stupid yeah. or both. He, he was I, he was obviously very good at what he did. He very good at he, manipulation. Tremendous, a, a smooth guy, a nice guy, a hardworking guy, but you just knew that he was an inch away from trouble. Yeah. It, 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 husbanding agents can be a challenge anywhere in the world. Absolutely. And you have to kind of watch your P's and Q's anytime you're around them. Well, and you know, with, with the, the force protection issues that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. the Navy was, it was almost, you couldn't spend too much money. Yeah. It was important. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, everybody develops some pretty bad habits. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I know that and, I was in Turkey uh, right after 9-11 and um, our port, we went same kind of structure. We port visits were a hundred percent, and you know you a lot of times the husband agent be the be the guy you would meet with before you go meet with police and meet with national intelligence organizations. Yeah. And, and you know we always said we don't delegate our our force protection to the husband agent. Well, we don't delegate it, but we sure use them. Yeah, we do. And, we but, sure did. We admit it or not, they are an integral part of things. Yeah. And. You know, it's just important. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. So, and and you know, I think the guy did a tremendous amount of good work. It just, you know, at some st- point, it kind of pushed over the line and continued going over the line. So. Well, you know, I you know I forget you know he had that big ring of steel with those barges. Yeah. 
and I forget where it was, but one, I think it was the CEO of one of the ships told me, he says, you know, if we get in trouble here, how are we going to get out of here? Yeah. I thought, gee, nobody thought of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I got to tell you, John, you, you know, uh, he has a podcast, um, and I, I think that's kind of risky because he's involved in a, a litigation right now. At some yeah. point, will that podcast come back and haunt him? You know, I listened to it, and I, I found it full of what was already known. Hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, Leonard is a, a very social guy, yeah. and I really think he, he needs someone to talk to. And, and that podcast um, was a cry for help. Yeah. And and you know he's he's apparently he's quite ill. Yeah. And uh, you know he just he's a drowning man. Yeah. So I I, I was. I'm pretty disappointed in that podcast, actually. I haven't listened to it yet. I need to listen to it because I think it's... I think it's five parts. It's uh, it's worth your time, but it's not, you, won't, you won't learn anything you don't already know. That's interesting, but I, I just wonder if, if if anything he says in that podcast will come back and bite him with the U.S. Attorney's Office. I, I would. That was my first thought. I, it, it, it amazed me his defense counsel would allow him to do that. Yeah. But then again, I would think he's a hard man to control. So. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Anyway, right. so you get to the USNS anyway. Mercy. Yeah. Um, I want to say the agent was Carl Rice. Okay. I was a Jag. And the Commodore was an old school black shoe. Okay. A screamer, a yeller, a door kicker. Oh, wow. And, uh, you didn't see many of those at that time in the Navy. <laughs> no. And we had, you know, we had a lot of nurses and, and a lot of females. And he rode roughshod over a lot of people. And uh, he, was, he was a good guy, a hard-working guy, yeah. but he just... Just old Navy. He, he did it the way it was done to him 25 years before. Yeah. And uh, at one point, he received some gifts from the government of Vietnam, and it was a guitar. Mm-hmm. And it had his name engraved on it. And I wrote an opinion that said, because it was personalized, it didn't have any real value Therefore, he could keep. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a bit of a reach, but, you know, I'm trying to accommodate. Yeah, sure. And, and his chief of staff got, about four or five people got him. And one of the people that he offended dimed him out. Mm. And pretty soon, I got a jag from D.C. calling me saying, you better rewrite that opinion. And uh, it was it was embarrassing. It, mm. it, it, you know. Wow. But you're trying, but, you know, that's the thing, John, when you're on a ship like that, you know, you're part of a team. In reality, and you're and you're trying, you're try, you have to, you you have to watch what you're doing and how you're operating, and you know you're trying to help the CEO. I know I did as an agent, you know, trying to help the CEO go through some, uh, you know, navigate through some rough waters, if you will. Yes. And a lot of times, your your answers or your opinions um, may not be pure policy. But you know, but it's you're you're navigating in in the in the right waters. In other words, you're trying to keep things on the up and up. I, I couldn't agree more, and that's where you got to have a sounding board because you got to make sure that you're not getting too far into his pocket. Yeah. I, I noticed one time when I I went to Afghanistan to do an investigation, and it was it was ten days after the event. It was mm-hmm. it was a CYA all the way. Mm-hmm. When I got there, the first person I met was the JAG. And he used the term we about four times. Mm-hmm. But he thought he was on the SEAL team. Oh, and that was very indicative of the way he behaved mm-hmm. and the way he 
helped me. I mean, they told me they'd give me anything I wanted. Mm -hmm. In the end, they gave me nothing. Oh, wow. It was it was painful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you can't go native. I mean, if you're an NCIS agent yep. or a JAG assigned to a unit, yep. you have to stay with your the reason you're there. Yep. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is I always appreciate CEOs who say, listen, I, I just need you to keep me out of trouble. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, you know, that first of all, you need to keep yourself out of trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we had bear. I had a, uh, I had a I had CEO in the Kitty Hawk who had uh, received a ejection seat from his squadron and ended up, uh, he reminded me that he had been investigated for that by NIS at the time. Yeah. And I said, well, sir, I, I said, it's still government property. It may have been ejected out of the plane, but it's still government property. Yeah, <laughs> you can't steal. Yeah. yeah. Any rate, so any rate, I get on the Mercy, and uh, we hit Sulawesi, Indonesia for 20 days, Samar, Philippines. I left, went down to Mindanao, and did some lectures and, and uh, discussions about human rights and, and uh, non-judicial, extrajudicial killings mm -hmm. in Basilan and Holo. Um, then we came up and we went to uh, Subic for a few days. Then we ended up in Vietnam and then Sihanoukville, Cambodia. It was just a great experience. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I was senior enough to make some decisions that shook some people up, but they turned out to be right. Vietnam was pressuring us to rent a $50,000 sewage barge. The master of the ship said, I don't need that. I, I can hold my sewage for two weeks. Yeah. By the way, my sewage that I release can be released anywhere in the world. It's It's clear and and i kept getting calls from the ambassador and, and everybody saying you must take that barge and we never took it mm -hmm. and we left without taking it and you know what happened nothing yeah and we saved 50 grand and you know what the word was the vietnamese were going to fill that barge up and empty it on the as they towed it back anyway yeah because it was a scam and, and i could smell it and, and i'm glad we did that yeah anyway that was just a great tour uh my back got all screwed up. I, I, I'm not sure from being at sea or from doing the Stairmaster. But man, I, it just was. And, and, and it turned out I had a bunch of nerves that were touching my backbone. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I got back to San Diego. And the doc there says, you know, I can do surgery on this. This is, this is a correctable condition. Wow. So he did. And because of that, I am now a disabled veteran. Which is oh, wow. kind of nice thing yeah absolutely you get to get extra pay for that right well more importantly my youngest two kids got waivers on their college tuition. that's right in california you get waiver for disabled veteran status right in yeah. california that's uh, outstanding so godsend um from there i ended up going to uh livermore national laboratory working as counterintelligence officer um great organization great people great colleagues as badly managed as anything I've ever seen. <laughs> the, it, it, the, the, the scientists and the counterintelligence officers did good work at night because every, every boss there was just an idiot. I mean, they, they had all risen because they were careerists yeah. and, and weren't good at what they were supposed to be doing, so they went up the chain, yeah. whereas all the guys who were really good at nuclear weapons technology... Uh -huh. They don't, that's what they want to do. They don't want to be anybody's boss. Yeah. And they were phenomenal. And we, I mean, you know, a lot of the, most of what we did there, we couldn't talk about in this, yeah. but, but 
you know, America's leaking in ways that we have created so terribly. Yeah. Um, some of the countries that we let in our front door are throwing things out the back door. Yeah. And the people we're really afraid of, they're probably not as dangerous as we think. I mean, I'm sure a hundred years from now we'll reevaluate and go, God, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> but I was going to stay at that job for two years. But because of uh, some family situations and the kids in college, I ended up staying seven. And I didn't leave till last year, 2020. And I really enjoyed the work there. It was, it was pretty cool. I got to know a lot about stuff I never even was aware of. Yeah. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of classified stuff, but also a lot of unclassified inertial confinement, fusion efforts, uh, drones, all kinds of neat stuff. Yeah, sure. They really neat people there. Um, it, it was just a great experience, um, and from there I retired. And I'm now I'm now volunteering. I, I do uh, I do a lot of trout stocking, uh-huh. doing some veterans in trouble with the court system here in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing we're raising weevils in Wisconsin. They're underwater weevils, and they're supposedly going to eat the Eurasian milfoil that's in our lake. Interesting. So uh, those are kind of things I'm doing now. I, I really kind of enjoy them. <laughs> I go to the gym a lot. I don't do a lot when I'm there. Yeah. I, I recently ripped the head off my bicep and tore my rotator cuff. <laughs> Dang, so John. I've been kind of... What are you doing? Are you playing pickleball or something there? And well, that's what I want to do, but yeah. my, my dad fell down and they helped pick him up and it oh. off. So, at any rate, but pickleball's kind of fun. I like it. <laughs> I played pickleball for years, so it's kind of, you know, in the same vein. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I like to play golf, although I haven't played in two months because of this shoulder thing. Um, but being retired is pretty nice. Yeah, it I'm, sure I'm, is. I'm well, based it. on that fish up on the wall up there behind you. Um, luckily, the lake where I'm at in Wisconsin, uh, that's that's kind of what we get. And, you know, the, the big joke in Wisconsin is that's a muskie, muskie yeah. off the pier. And it's, it's one of those things you say kind of it's an exaggeration. Well, in the last since I bought my cabin, I've caught three muskies off my pier. Wow! So, and you you release them, of course. That's a replica. You just you take a picture, and then they they make it for you because oh they're valuable fish to get back in the water. I feed eagles like crazy. Wow! I, I catch bass every day. I let them dry about a day on the bow of my boat, so they float nicely, and then I whistle, and the eagle comes out. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the, the rumor on the lake is the eagles have a lawyer trained to feed them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll go back up there in, uh, mid to late May, and I'll stay till mid-October. Yeah. And it's, and it's not the best lake or the greatest lake. It's just a good one, and it's where I fished since I was five years old. And wow. it just makes me happy to be there. Yeah, that's interesting. We uh, So Kathy's family does uh, lived in Wisconsin at a time when her dad was oh. still alive. And uh, there's some lakes, the lake region up there that uh, um, yeah. that uh, they like to go to, used to vacation. And I think they were trying to plan to go up there and uh, do some vacation up there in the next couple of years. So should be fun. Oh, <laughs> hey, John, I want to ask you a quick question uh, regarding yeah. your time as a defense attorney. Um, yes. Can you give me an opinion on uh, the times you um, – uh, had NCIS agents or NIS agents testifying in court and what your experience was on that? I thought they were very professional. I thought they were um, a little bit stilted, but I think it's better to be a little stilted than overly casual. 
Okay. So, but they were good. Um, I, uh, I, as I recall, the time that I cross-examined you, the information you provided wasn't profoundly helpful for the prosecution, but it was good to get it out. Yeah. You know, you never want to hide anything. Yeah. It's better to come from you than, you know, it, 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 I, I thought they did a pretty good job. Um, I, you know, and, and let me let me tell you this. I went to Fletzy for a course when I was at headquarters mm-hmm. with with some of the Jags, and I wasn't too impressed. Mm-hmm. When I went through Fletzy as a student, that was ambivalent. Yeah. I went back there in 2009. They had made a lot of improvements and changes, and I think that place runs a lot better than it used to. Yeah, it does. I, I think they really have professionalized it. Yeah. And, and I, I think Mark Fallon probably had something to do with that. Yeah, I think that uh, I worked down there for four years as an instructor after I retired. Of course. And um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think that Mark Fallon really made a difference down there. Uh, it really professionalized the training um, cadre. Now, since Mark has, has left, I, I don't think that they've really put an emphasis on the leadership down there until this last uh, guy who is there now, and they're doing a lot of stuff, a lot of good um, instruction and kind of development of the of the training program for basic agents or agents just coming into the agency, mm-hmm. and and that's a good thing because now we have. I remember when I went in there, they literally put twenty five. Well, probably with you too, they probably put twenty five cases on your desk and said, "Get to work," you know. Whereas now um, we really. Um, for instance, at Camp Pellington, uh, you know, where I'm at now as the field training coordinator, you know, I, I kind of dual-hatted. I, I understand Code 10 or Code 12B, as they call it now, uh, the training academy, uh, and their, the phases of training, one through four. Uh, and it's really based on the San Jose police model. Um, and we've kind of shortened it down a little bit because, you know, SACs want those agents to get to work. But we really believe in like a three-month process of making sure that the agents ready to hit the street and that they're under the mentorship of some senior agents uh, in, a, in a program that has, you know, a training regime. You have blocks you have to check. You have things you have to do to be checked off as a certified special agent. And it only helps them later on when they do get called into court and defense calls up training records. And now we have this very professional product where they they can go through and see that this person has been certified and that there's some type of uh, narrative on their performance. So it's it's good stuff. Uh, there, it, and really, you, you go back to Mr. Fallon's um, going down there and getting the certification of the academy and kind of making it what it was. That really, um, really makes the organization a very professional. It's less. I know when I was when I came in with NIS, I remember it being more of a family kind of agency. Not and and they expected you to do things like you talked in your stories about you know you're going to respond to cases when somebody calls, you're going to respond. And I mean I've had those cases as well. Uh, those car thefts were. A nightmare in San Diego, um, but I, I will say this: it is the way they do business today is extremely professional. It, this agency is ten times better than when I joined. Um, I, I agree. I think so. You know, um, and, and you know, people often ask me, 
not often, but they do. Uh, FBI, NCIS. I said, you know, there's no need to make a comparison because they're different animals in many, many ways. And I said, the, the luckiest thing, the best thing, is I got to do both, and I'm, I'm really happy. Yeah. But I will say this, that the parent organization has a lot to do yeah. with and, and the Navy, even though we have our flaws, mm -hmm. no one ever doubts our mission, our focus on mission, and our, our sincerity and our loyalty. Yeah. Um, the Justice Department's in a mess right now. Yeah. I really think they are. You know, I don't care what your politics are, Trump, Biden, whatever. Yeah. Some of the stuff that they've done over the last 10 years, it's just shocking to me. Yeah. I mean, I always thought, in particular, that, that the whole FISA process was just sacrosanct. Yeah. You know, when I was in Detroit, I, I took tapes every day to the electronic surveillance room, and there was a FISA room there, and we were not allowed to go in there. Yeah. It was a place for FISA activity, FISA agents, mm -hmm. and, and they didn't share information. Yeah. And man, now it's just, it just seems like it's not what it used to be. Well, I agree with I, you. I think that when disappointing. I was, as an NCIS agent, when I was working counterintelligence and we were working operational stuff and we had to go to the FISA court, it was a big deal because we... We presented that stuff to FBI. FBI presented it for us. The Justice Attorneys presented it for us. And it was a big deal. Uh, and it was, I can remember it being a process that was very well respected. And so it's disappointing when you see some of the things that have happened in the past few years. Well, you know, it is a big deal because really FISA is a relaxation of the Fourth Amendment for a particular purpose. Yeah. And man, that's serious as a heart attack. Yep. And I see people that have used that for un anything other than what it should be, mm -hmm. or or maybe fudge data in there, man, that that's horrifying. It is. I agree. And, and you know, you'd think this stuff is looked at by three and four people. That no one writes one and takes it in. Yeah. So that that's even more trouble. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I got another question for you. So, um, yeah. it, your time as a JAG officer at headquarters during the tell hook and in, um, obviously probably tell end of the Iowa investigation. And the, the, the telehook investigation, can you elaborate on some of the discussions that went on during that time and uh, what, what your what, kind of your the, the thought process of what was going on? Well, absolutely. You know, um, with regard to the Iowa, it's my understanding that immediately upon exploding, they filled that turret with water as a, as a fire control mm -hmm. and then they pumped the water out. Mm -hmm. So as far as the crime scene, it's I mean, difficult I and mean, just profoundly difficult. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the guy that did identify, I think his name was Hardwick, mm -hmm. um, had some other issues that were politically mm -hmm. unpleasant. Yeah. And, and, you know, NCIS just got slapped around on those things, and they were simply true. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy had a book about turret explosions in his personal library. Wow. Or, or, or that mentioned that. And it, apparently the British have always been very keen on understanding and working the turret explosion thing more thoroughly than we did. Sure. But at any rate, now with regard to Tailhook, I my impression is is that the Navy just wanted to take someone down, get a pound of flesh, and not damage their flight community as bad as too badly. Mm -hmm. And we just became the convenient person to kick. Mm -hmm. uh, in the end I think it benefited us a great deal. Yeah. I think
that opinion is it, between agents. Um, I, I agree. I think that uh, Telhook is probably the best thing that ever happened to the organization. Most certainly. Yeah. Most. Um, you know, I remember one time right when Negro first got there. Um, it was at one of the staff meetings, and no other Jags were there. So you know, I went as a lieutenant, and two guys had down in Jacksonville. I think they stole some property from the office. And, of course, there was a lot of talk, and we put him on leave without pay. And So Nedra looks at me and says, what do I do? I said, fire him. He said, they're fired. And, you know, they never came back. And, and you know, sometimes you got to make a decision. Yeah. You fire a guy, and it turns out you're wrong, then you repay him, and you get sued. I mean, but, you know, a special agent mm-hmm. can't steal. No. no. You know, we got to have a baseline. And, and I thought he and, and the guys he brought in had no trouble with that. Yeah. I, I think that was just good in many, many ways. Yeah. And, and I think I told you, I mentioned earlier, all those suicide investigations that were reopened, I don't think they found anything in any of them mm-hmm. that really of the magnitude to cause a, a change in the outcome of the investigation. Zero. Right. And, and you know, you, you know, just because you think I should have done the fourth interview, yeah. And, that's, I mean, anyone could look at any case and find flaws in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, sometimes you do the best you can. Yeah. And in fact, all times. Yeah. Um, I, I, I liked my time there. Um, I met a lot of people that I'm still in touch with. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a, a good experience. Yeah. And, and to watch a, a major evolution like that was, was pretty cool. Yeah, I got to tell you that uh, you know, as I look back now and see all the good things that have uh, you know come about, uh, come uh, come to pass because of literally those uh, of that Telhook investigation, you know, the great leadership we got. Uh, you know, I, I had the pleasure of working for Mr. Brandt, who I believed, uh, and he would say the same thing. He he says, you know, he benefited from Roy Nedro because Mr. Nedro kind of set the set the boundaries with the Navy and the Marine Corps, and he he benefited from that and was able to maneuver very well with uh, Navy leadership. Yep. And I think that the Navy appreciates what we do on a daily basis more now than ever. I do too. I um I was treated very well by commanding officers. By and large, especially on the carrier, and I, I just worked with two guys. I'm still in touch with them. Yeah. I, I just they're just good guys. Yeah. And I think for the most part, you don't rise to that level without being pretty sharp. Yeah. And and, and pretty committed to doing the right thing all the time. Yeah, sure. Well, John, I sure do appreciate you coming on today and, and talking about this. It's really good stuff. I mean, you've served in a critical time in the organization, and you have such a fascinating career. From going from FBI, you know, from probation officer to FBI to JAG officer to agent back to JAG, I mean, you, I mean, you had an, you had an adventure of a life. I did. I, I've been real lucky. And you know, one other thing that happened. This probably doesn't need to be on the tape, but <laughs> at my five-year point in the FBI, I switched over to FERS, and I did it because I knew I was going to quit, or I was starting to think I might. And as it turns out, when I retired. I am a hybrid FERS CSRS employee. Uh-huh. A, my, my pension's a little better than it would be. And I get to participate in Social Security. Nice. So I get, it, it really is, 
it's all come together pretty nicely. No, that's, there's nothing wrong with that being on tape because, you know, people who are young agents get to learn uh, from guys like you because I, when I came in, I only had the opportunity to take first, you know, and, and it's been, uh, I, I'll say it's been a blessing. You know, first I didn't oh. know if it was a great idea, but I remember having a conversation with Ed Jex going, hey, anytime the government tells you it's a good idea, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so. Well, you know, they just, they, they made it, they put the onus on you to yeah. provide for because you got you got to do the thrift savings plan. Yeah, work those things. But uh, and for, for the audience, FERS means Federal uh, Employment Retirement System. So I, I'm a hybrid. I'm I'm a little of both. So I'm I'm pretty pleased with that. That's so. good stuff. And you know what? And good 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 on you for for having that opportunity. Because I, I can tell people, um, you know, that I enjoy my my pension. Uh, I'm now an annuitant working again. But I don't know how long. I don't have to, but I, I enjoyed doing something for the organization, giving back to the organization that did so much for me. Well, you know, you were a guy that was very serious and, and, and a, a good at what you did. So I think it's important to have guys like you conveying that importance of the job. I mean, you can have a good time, but there's sometimes you sit down and talk to someone. Yeah. you you got to be doing what's right. And, you know, the other thing is I noticed – some guys try to take on someone else's demeanor to do their job. And, and you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself a particularly intimidating guy, but I used to tell people in their interrogations, look, I've got what I've got. Everyone's going to say what they say. Yeah. If you want to participate, do it. Yeah. If you don't, it's going to happen anyway, and you're not going to get a vote. Yeah. And, and I found yeah. pretty effective. You know, that's a, that's an effective argument. You know, we we're going through this whole thing of, um, you know, what kind of interrogations do you do? Do you do, are you a read school guy? Are you a cognitive guy? Um, and I found the, and finding that some of the best interrogators, the people just have a conversation, you know, Absolutely. And, and, and provide that type of information that you say, you know, it's like one, well, listen, I've got what I got and you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Here's your opportunity to talk, you know, give your side of it. So it, it's, it, you know, it's, I, I feel blessed and I appreciate the, uh, the nice comments. I feel blessed to have worked for an organization that gave me so many opportunities, um, to, uh, and continues to give me opportunities. I don't know how long I'll take advantage of them. I don't know how long I can take advantage of them, but I, um, I've, I appreciate everything they've done for me. And they're and I love, when I'm at the office now and I see the people coming through, somebody asked me, says, is there any difference between the agents of 1989 and the agents of 2022? And I say, you know what? I listen to what goes out on that squad bay just, uh, just, you know, outside my office. And I hear the same conversations that I had in 1989, same passion, to do investigations, same passion to make sure, and you know, they've got a lot of challenges now. We're dealing with sexual assault and new laws. The UCMJ has changed. Um, and so there are, you know, Congress is leveraging more work upon the agency uh, with, with, with regards to sexual harassment, sexual, you know, abuse, um, you know, and sexual assault. So we're seeing some of those changes now, but I still see the same passion in the agencies, the agents that are coming on now. You know, um, on that topic, I, I sometimes hear people that imply the Navy has a big problem with these things. I actually think the Navy took that head on. 
did a good job addressing it, a good job informing and educating people. And uh, I think we made it a better environment. And you, know, you think about it, you got tons of 18 to 25-year-olds. Yeah. And from diverse backgrounds and, and levels of experience, a certain amount of bad stuff's going to happen. Yep. And, and so. uh, I think all things considered, we do a pretty good job with that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think the Navy was very proactive on addressing the problem of sexual assault, whereas, you know, the Army has really taken it on the chin here in the last few years. I, I like to say that this sexual assault thing was their tailhook uh, because, you know, we've got uh, a former NCIS guy is now the director yeah. of the organization. Well, That's great. So, you know, we're spreading uh, our, our philosophies and thoughts to the <laughs> Army. Air Force OSI, you know, was uh, – I remember watching the hearings on sexual assault and, um, you know, Air Force OSI and NCIS operate uh, very similar when it comes to these cases. Um, but I can remember working for OSI in 2001 at 9-11, and they were not working sexual assaults in Izmir, Turkey. And they told me, says, overseas, we only work counterintelligence. So I, I thought that was really interesting. But uh, that's changed now. I They're doing it now. OSI guys. In fact, Kel Ide, a very good friend of mine, is OSI guy. And I, I think the world of the guy, but I, I don't know a lot about the organization otherwise. Yeah. No, they're good. They're a good organization. I think that they, uh, you know, they recognized like we did that there are some things you just don't fight back on. You just, you, you try to improve and be proactive on it. And I think they did as well. Um, so it's all good. I think, I think there's a, uh, it's a bright future for the def Department of Defense investigative agencies. I think it's very bright. Well, good to hear because they're needed, and uh, they also need to remember it's not we. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> Sometimes you're not the man. <laughs> At all. But as you point out, sometimes you're there to help, you know, get through something. Yeah. So, That's true. Case by case. John, great talking to you, man. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, catching up, and uh, I hope everything is going well there in New Braunfels, Texas. Um, and uh, please, uh, it, 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 in the future, I hope that you'll know, come back on and we can we can talk about other stuff. Good. Yeah, and remember, if you get up to Wisconsin, I'll let you know. All right. Thanks, Here man. You. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It was a great interview with John Smallman. He's a great storyteller. From his time as an FBI special agent in Gary, Indiana, Atlanta, Georgia, and Detroit, Michigan, to his time as a JAG officer with the Navy, and then eventually an NCIS special agent. John had a great career. He would eventually, you know, as he said in his podcast, go back as a JAG attorney late in his career and eventually retire, and he's doing great today um, with, with all the stuff that he's involved in. So I appreciate John coming on the show today. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we passed 2,000 listen day. That is an awesome and remarkable uh, accomplishment for a young podcast like this. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your input. You can always send me um, uh, ideas for the podcast at ncispodcast at yahoo.com. That's ncispodcast at yahoo.com. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the show. And uh, please send me some feedback um, on your favorite podcast service, whatever that may be. With that said, fair winds and following seas. We'll see you next week for another show, NCIS Reports in the Field.